Hello, I'm Jordan, and welcome to the first ever instalment of the Not The Jordan Show. It's going to be a regular show every two weeks or so, and myself and other Blues are going to be taking a look at some of the biggest stories in football. It won't just be about City, it certainly won't just be about me, hence the name. I'm going to be sharing the spotlight, and first of all, I've got Asan. Asan, rather than just asking you the standard question of how you're doing, I want to get something a bit more out of you. What I want to know, I'm putting you on the spot here, is your earliest footballing memory outside City. What springs to mind? Oh, have that. <laughs> <laughs> what a start. Yeah, so um, Man United in the FA Cup final in 1986, seven, somewhere around there. Um feel like maybe Norman Whiteside scored the winner. Um, does okay. That, does that ring any bells? That's my, that's the... That's the first time that football came into my consciousness as a child. We lived, um, <clears throat> my dad had a, like a news agent in Withington and, and we lived, uh, we lived above the, above the shop and, uh, my dad was putting a bet on the game of football and, and I can't remember, I think he gave me like two pounds or something to put, to put a bet on and I put a bet on. Um, that the score would finish 1-0 to United. And uh, it did, but it was 1-0 in extra time. And I just remember being very angry at the fact that I didn't get any winnings because I had to bet again at extra time <laughs> if it wasn't decided in the 90. But yeah, that's probably my my earliest... In fact, it's definitely my earliest footballing memory. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Steve, I've actually taken a bit of inspiration from your uh, wonderful 30 random questions there for the first for the first question to Asan. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. What's your earliest footballing memory outside of City? Um, well, first off, um, you're not the only one to take inspiration from it. And secondly, um, <laughs> <laughs> secondly my first footballing memory, um, I think, because I'm a very old man, uh, and I must have been about four or five, I think it was Paul Allen in the 1980 FA Cup final, charging through the middle. He was 17, and oh, I can't remember his name. He's a big defender with ginger hair, played for Arsenal, proper, dirty, you know, uh, no-nonsense defender, and he brought him down, and it was a cynical challenge, and um, John Motson was outraged. And I remember my dad must have been outraged and vicariously I felt that outrage or something. So my first footballing memory was to be outraged, which is quite appropriate because I've felt that way many times since. Yeah, well, it can only get better from there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So what I've concluded from those two answers is that you two are getting on a bit. Um, yep, my yep. first footballing memory is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, let, let me guess, let me guess, Jordan, your f- first football memory. Oh, was it Lidl Messi or Ronaldo? <laughs> was it a not few quite. years ago? <laughs> not quite, not quite. No, my first one is actually in the year 2000. So, uh, oh, yeah, I know, sickening. I when I was a four-year-old. So I'm not sure if you know, but my dad was actually, or is actually, a Leeds fan. Um, and he took me to go watch Leeds, and they lost 2-1 at home to Ipswich in 2000. 
Jamie Scowcroft scored two, um, <laughs> which really isn't really the sort of name you want for your first footballing memory. Do you even remember Jamie Scowcroft? Does that name yeah, yeah. ring a yeah, bell? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, that was my first footballing memory. Maybe that's why I'm not a Leeds fan now. However, my first World Cup memory was at the tournament in 2002 in Korea and Japan. Now, there is a nice big segue to all this. So I remember my mum dropping me off at the summer camp I went to as a six-year-old, and they had this tiny TV showing highlights of Germany 8, Saudi Arabia 0. And Hmm. for years, because of that, Saudi Arabia was the sort of butt of all the jokes. However, as we've seen this summer, that's not the case anymore, and it's going to continue to grow because this week former city manager Roberto Mancini our first Premier League title winning manager has been appointed as the manager of the Saudi national team that's not even close to the biggest coup the Saudis have had this summer they've now got the Saudi Pro League featuring Cristiano Ronaldo, Benzema, Neymar, Mares, Firmino, Mane, Saint-Maximin, Laporte, Fabinho the list goes on and on And we're going to respond to a piece of breaking news that we've just seen at the time of recording. Jan Agafjortoft has just tweeted to say that he expects Mohamed Salah to leave Liverpool this week, presumably to join Al-Itihad, who are City's opponents, I believe, in the Club World Cup. Now, we know how these things can go with a podcast because by the time we finish that piece of information could be quashed by Liverpool. But Asa, I'm going to start with you. I just want to get your initial thoughts on that and the pull of the Saudi league to potentially attract someone who, while he's 31, is still one of the star names in our Premier League. Mm. How does that make you feel? Um, should I have feelings about it? Like in the sense that I, I, I find it quite interesting that it, in the main... Uh, the the kind of conversations around anything that the Saudi league is doing is, how do you feel? And I'm a bit like, well, they're a league and their football teams buying footballers. It's not that weird. I think that we've, we've sort of built it up into something. We, I think that that we, our thoughts are shaped by the narrative in Europe and in the West and particularly in England around the Saudi Pro League. And so we find ourselves feeling like we need to have a think piece and, and analyze the Saudi Pro League, whereas the the actual reality is quite mundane in the sense that their league, they can pay more wages than the Premier League, which is probably why we feel so insecure about it. Um, they have... From what it looks to me, they have a long-term view on this. That it's a little bit like they'll like. I feel that they'll still be around in ten, fifteen years' time, and I feel that this is part of something that will just build and build. Um, The specific Mo Salah thing, um, it makes sense in the same way that a lot of players who have Middle Eastern heritage or have uh, Muslim faith-based backgrounds, I think they will be very appealing to the Saudi League. And one of the reasons that they'll be really appealing to the Saudi League is that unlike a lot of Western players, they won't look down their nose at going and playing in Saudi Arabia. I don't think that... I've, I've heard a lot of 
um, Liverpool-centric people say things like, well, Mo would never do that, that semi-retirement. And it's like, well, you know, your view of that is that semi-retirement. His view of that may be, I go to the Middle East at a, at a moment in my career where I'm still a baller, yeah, and I can go and do that in, in the Middle East and help build something out there that is closer to my faith, closer to my home country. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it doesn't shock me. The, the Salah thing, the Mares thing didn't shock me at all. Like as soon as that story broke, I said to everybody around me, he's going. And everybody was like, yeah, but his, his missus is from Cheshire and, you know, he's so happy in Manchester and he loves to go out clubbing. And I'm like, come on, like, you know, you, like if you, the kind of, if you're, if you're a second generation or first generation immigrant from a, uh, somewhere, whether it be the Middle East or Southeast Asia, Pakistan, India, places like that. And even if you're born and raised in France or in Britain, generally because of the way your home life is and the way that you've been, been raised, you'll be a lot closer to your parents' country of of origin than people realize and your views on those countries will be a lot different to your french peers or your british peers so whilst other people were looking down their nose at the idea of maras going to saudi in the same way people are looking down their nose at the idea of salah going to saudi i'm looking at those two guys in the same way i looked at benzema and going that's a no-brainer those are easy deals to do because it won't take much convincing of the players. The challenge will be convincing the selling club. Um, and again, the whilst people will focus on the money, there is a cultural heritage aspect to this with players like Mohamed Salah that will be as important as the money. I take your point about the snooty attitudes portrayed in the media and the narrative that sort of shoved down our throats about the Saudi Pro League. But I want to pick up on something that you mentioned in the first part of your answer, which is what I was sort of getting at when I asked, how does it make you feel? You use the word insecurities, referring to the Premier League specifically. Do you feel insecure about the future of the Premier League when you see the Saudi Pro League in our first, well, in their first full season poaching names like Neymar? I mean, even taking players like Gabri Vega from Celta Vega, who's only 22 and is supposed to be a player full of potential. Does it make you worry, Asan, about the Saudi Pro League from that point of view? That it, it could rival our status, our league status, as the greatest league in the world? Maybe in a decade, but not right now. And, and actually, realistically, unless there's a way to shoehorn the Saudi Pro League into the European Champions League, uh, then no, I, I don't think that, that it'll ever really rival the Premier League. And I think it's also important to, um, uh, 
So it's a little bit like the conversation around when City's owners came in or Newcastle's owners came came in and other people in the league go, well, this is going to ruin the league for us, right? And I, I feel like there's this similar thing going on with the Saudi league as a whole where people are just getting really insecure about what it represents and what it means for them and their club personally. Whereas if you take a step back, Saudi money flowing into football in Europe is a good thing because football in Europe outside the Premier League is broke and it needs money. And I think that one of the uh, one of the kind of things that we never really talk about, whether it be with Abramovich or it be with Mansour or it be with what's going on in Saudi, we never talk about the fact that these people are taking money that previously did not exist inside of football and are pumping it into football. City's owners built Arsenal Stadium by buying their footballers with money that didn't previously exist inside of football. So whilst tribally you might look at your team and worry that, oh, well, the Saudis might come and take our best player, the the financial benefits to... Your to European clubs is exactly why, whilst the media are saying what they're saying and the narratives are about insecurity, every owner of every football club is sat with their hands together praying that they get that call from Saudi. Because if you're Liverpool, you're never selling Fabinho for £40 million after the season that he had last season. It's just not happening. If you're City, you're never selling Riyad Mahrez at, at 33 years old for £30-odd million. Pound. It's just not happening. That's not... The, these, the conversations and the narratives are completely different from what happens behind the scenes. In the same way that back in the day, whilst Arsene Wenger was slagging City off privately, they were begging us to buy their players. There'll be an element of that going on right now with football ownership and, and Saudi interest in their players. And when you look at the Salah thing, I'm fairly sure that he's saying that, Jan Agafjortov, because whilst Klopp is saying, there's no way that I'm going to let Mo Salah go, the owners sat in Boston are going, we can realize £150 million on a 31-year-old footballer. Yeah, all right, we'll take that. Yeah, all fair points. Steve, um, one of the words that gets banded about whenever you're talking about football in this part of the world, in the Middle East, is the word sports washing. Mm. Um, Because I'm a Manchester City fan, and I was thinking about this yesterday in preparation for this podcast, I think I am naturally a bit more sympathetic and defensive of football in this part of the world because I have had to feel defensive for the last 15 years about people calling my football club a state-run project and sports washers, basically. Mm. Do you feel like that at all? Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.